0: Welcome to How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? My name is Rebecca, and this is the podcast where I interview my friends and peers to figure out, well, how the fuck they got so confident. In this episode, I Skype with actor, writer, improviser, and director Ginger Gonzaga. We talk about practicing non-attachment, the willingness to fail, narcissistic personality disorder, and more. This is How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? With guest Ginger
1: Gonzaga. Hey, Ginger. Hi. Hi. How's it going? It's great in isolation. We're doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for
0: doing this. I'm so excited to talk to you. Likewise. Um, okay, so we can just like jump right into it. Do you consider yourself a confident person?
1: Um, I consider myself. Uh, very confident in certain things and uh, and maybe not in others. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm confident in my work. Yeah, without a doubt.
0: What What do you What do you feel like you're not confident in?
1: Mm, I'm not confident in maybe. Um, I don't know. Maybe more recently, I've been like, "What's it like to date non toxic people?" Right. <laughs> I'm trying to like adjust to that and see what that's like. Um,
0: It's so interesting to hear people talk about confidence and in doing these podcasts, I'm discovering, like, some people's, some of the conversations are more about, like, relationships and confidence in relationships and others are about, like, work and career confidence and I haven't yet had one that's been, like, half and half. It's either, like, one or the other, which I find, like, very interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, with work, I have, um... I have some I never have any wavering confidence when it comes Wait, to work. Wait, really? Yeah, I, I really don't. <laughs> well,
0: cuz you've worked on a, lo- a lot of stuff. You've worked on a lot of different sets. You're an improviser um as well as an actor and a writer and a director?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: you so ha- have you ever experienced um lack of confidence in your work or have you always been pretty much like no, I'm great at this thing?
1: Yeah, I I I it's funny because it's almost like it's a combination of confidence and in a way that's positive and maybe also at times hasn't been healthy because I think that I have a lot of confidence when I act and some of that has to do with the fact that I get a lot of comfort in and I, I feel like I have more permission to be confident when I'm not myself. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm acting, I'm not myself, and so I can do whatever I want, mm-hmm. and I'm this different person, and so it feels easier, whereas maybe as myself sometimes I would feel like, oh, I'm not allowed to be confident, or this feels vain, or, you know, you know, some sort of societal um, conditioning, you know. Yeah. But the other thing with work, and I, and I feel like you learn this a lot with comedy and improv, is just that willingness to fail and then really just never um knowing what knowing that rock bottom and knowing that like embarrassment on stage or knowing it really when it really doesn't work and then also not giving a shit or knowing how to save yourself after you fuck up or knowing that other people like let's say in an improv show will will save you if you fuck up right um but I think that that helps and also with with acting I just feel like if you're going to do work, there's no room for insecurity. Mm-hmm. So I just don't allow it. Yeah.
0: How did you, how do you feel like you cultivated that, that mindset?
1: I think, um, I actually, I will say it's a combination of, of extreme commitment that eventually mm-hmm. led to that type of confidence. So after like studying at the ground and stuff, I was doing, um, I was doing hidden camera work because I was trying to sell a show kind of like a Sasha Marin Cohen type thing. And mm-hmm. doing that like real life character work for hours, you know, where you're with strangers and stuff, there you cannot, you cannot fail to you have to be a hundred percent committed. And so some of that commitment is a belief in yourself, right? I can convince these people that I'm this weird person. And Mm -hmm. there's just, it's not an option to fuck up or fail or not stay in that zone or not believe that you are that person. So, and that's a totally different experience because you're doing it with strangers. Right. And it's also really scary. And then that's scarier than regular acting. That's so scary. Yeah. And so, and it's like, yeah, it's totally weird. Like it's just, it's even like mentally weird, you know? Yeah. So I think that experience helped me a lot because if I can be this other character in the real world then I can for sure do it with other people that are trained yeah
0: (laughs) did you ever feel during this filming process that because this is early on in your career that you did this yeah yeah
1: this is like I wasn't even like hired for this I was just making videos and stuff Yeah. yeah
0: did you ever feel oh this was just on your own
1: yeah, I was like, for it was like pitch materials. I, I auditioned for like American Idol in character. I did, you know, a lot of weird stuff. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it still lives on a website. Very Wait, often. this is so cool. I
0: can't believe I didn't know this. Wait, explain <laughs> the concept for this because I'm like so intrigued now. You auditioned for, so you did a bunch of stuff it, as this one character or as different characters? I had
1: three. So one was very much like, her name's Leslie. I love her so much. She was like very much like on the spectrum and. And odd, and and as that character, I could do the best in public. Everyone, everyone felt bad for her, so they were kind to her. So it was like easy to get in. But yeah, I auditioned for American Idol, and I was interviewed by Fox. And <laughs> yeah, what? And you know what's so funny about that is the only like I didn't know what was gonna happen. I was in line for for American Idol for like eight hours, and then uh, you know, and then I saw them filming interviews and I kind of snuck my way in and they interviewed me and weirdly the only way that I got a hold of the tape was I had dated a guy who got second on American Idol and he knew the host because she was a failed American Idol person and so she was hosting so because of that connection I was able to actually get the tape of my American Idol interview <laughs> yeah. And like
0: they all bought it as they like thought that would be yeah good oh yeah
1: yeah yeah well there's so many weirdos auditioning for American Idol yeah oh my god so like
0: that that in and of itself takes I mean auditioning for American Idol takes a lot of confidence but auditioning for American Idol as a character like how did you I just don't understand how you went into the how did you get get the confidence to do that because you're on your own or were you doing this with friends Oh, I was
1: by myself like this is so rad yeah and actually in hindsight I'm so lucky that someone happened to do an interview because I don't know what I where I thought I was going to get right taped. like what would the end yeah. game be Yeah know? I think I had like a necklace with a microphone but I didn't have any anyone else filming but um I don't know it was just so uh I liked the bravery of it. So I think maybe a need to be
0: really brave
1: mm-hmm. made me confident. And then, and I was really inspired by Sasha Baron Cohen. I liked everything that he, that he did. And I like being a female version of something. Yeah. I like being like, what? I can do that. I'm a girl. I could do that. I haven't seen a girl do that. I bet I could do that. And um, yeah, but I did, I did some other things. Like I, as another character that I played, I would go to these women's organizations at UCLA. <laughs> So weird. These private girls things and try to blow up the spot there and I went to tea party rallies. And like yeah. were you you weren't filming this or you were filming these? Some of them I was filming yeah when I first first started I I, I wasn't filming and then I and then I was and then I was filming them um, I filmed I filmed the tea party rally and I filmed um, I'm trying to think of some other things One one I did like as a sketch I played this Filipino woman who had been adopted by this Mormon family and they think she's 12, but really she's 35. <laughs> so <laughs> I, filmed, <laughs> I filmed that as a, a sketch, but then I would do like hidden camera stuff as her. And I, and I had done hidden camera bits with like uh, that writer Dan Levy and stuff uh-huh. and then people like that for, for, you know, weird internet sites when that was a thing back in the day. Were, yeah.
0: you, were you a confident child? I'm trying to think of, like, Little Ginger and how she came came to be doing these hidden camera bits as characters, <laughs> which is, like, that in and of itself is such a training ground for confidence. Like, I, yeah. my mind is, like, blown by it. <laughs> so I'm, like, like being outside of your comfort zone like that, or maybe you didn't consider it out of your comfort oh, zone. Oh, it's
1: for sure out of, out of my comfort zone. And it's just that, ooh, let me do see if I can do this. And then it's so... It's so crazy, but then once you've done it, you're like, oh, I can do anything.
0: Yeah, it's almost <laughs> yeah. That's that's yeah. something that I'm discovering co- doing these interviews. It's like getting out of your comfort zone and like also failing as you're out of that comfort zone, and then being yeah. like, Oh wait, I survived that thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so then this yeah. thing is like nothing. Like yeah. <laughs> okay. So as a kid, were you confident? Um, I think that as
1: a kid, I. I don't know. I, um, was I, I don't know. Maybe I guess not. I don't know. I, I'm from a town, I'm from Modesto, California and it was a really racist town and I grew up really evangelical and my evangelical church was really racist. So I was always this other thing, you know, uh, where like ethnic people weren't considered pretty and it was, you know, so I don't know that I was that confident. And I also had a very mentally abusive mom. So it's not like I was learning that as I was growing up. But I think that kind of breeds the willingness to just kind of be like, fuck it, I'm, let me let me do these things and entertain myself. Yeah. Are you an only child? Um, I have uh, two brothers. Are yeah. they
0: older? Are you the youngest? Or? I'm the middle child. Okay, yeah. you're the middle child. Okay, so yeah. then you grew up with two brothers your mom and is it just the the four of you and my dad and your dad
1: definitely like as far as like if I think about my brothers like I played instruments and I was definitely confident and competitive in what I did with them like music and stuff like I had no I was very confident I was always confident I guess in my talent but maybe not Yeah.
0: How did, what were some of the qualities that your parents or your family like instilled in you as a child?
1: Um, well, it sounds dark, but you know, they, they didn't truly instill much positive. It's more that I learned to survive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew I needed to get out of that. And I knew that, um, and it was very reality altering and actually it was very damaging. So, but thankfully, I had a, um, I had scholastic programs that helped save me. And I also, um, like I was very much in, involved in speech and debate, a speech and debate program that I just, I think every student should do speech and debate because it instills so much um, confidence in people, it gives you so much um, access to information and knowledge and you're learning how to speak and you're debating and you're critical thinking and thinking about both sides of things. And I did spontaneous speaking events in that also and I also did acting events in that program so that program really saved me and from so many things my family from Modesto oh my god I don't don't know I think I might still be a Modesto if it weren't for that program yeah
0: yeah it's interesting in doing these talks to hear I'm always interested in in what what people grew up with because I think that it's so it forms you as a person, you know, whether you like it or not. If you had the perf- perfect quote unquote childhood, you're going to be one way. If you had challenges, you're going to be another way. And yeah. it's just been very interesting to hear the what, how people got confident given their circumstances, you know. And I my I relate more to you in that you were yeah. like, you know, this is not this is a toxic environment. Yeah. This is this is giving me trauma. Um, and I wonder how. Because I feel like you're, and I don't want to be like, I don't want to put people into boxes, but you're very <laughs> confident, and I'm trying to get that way. And it, <laughs> and it sounds like we both had some struggles as kids, and I'm wondering how you as an adult took those struggles and transformed them into being this like wonderful, confident, self-assured person, because I, that's something that I have trouble with.
1: Yeah, I mean, as do I, but I, I think and it's a learning process you know i still like um learn and learning so much and trying to rewire you know everything that i learned because when you grow up in a toxic system especially the way i grew up it was like you know there's there's mental abuse in adulthood which i've also experienced but but when that's happening to you as a child you're you're growing up in a fucked up system so your your understanding of the world is incorrect you know i even misunderstood definitions of words because they would, they would change the meaning so much, you know, and um, truly I, I had a saboteur parent that would do things behind my back that I didn't understand. Like why, I mean, I had teachers that would give me a bad grade and then I would, and it would change the course of my life. And then I found out my senior year that my parent had written them a letter that I tested mentally retarded and I was cheating. So I, I didn't know that these things were happening to me. And it was really frustrating. And that's why I think I was able to like pour myself into speech and debate. But as far as like a, a, a you know, evolving from it, I think that first you're not evolving from it. I think first it's a survival mechanism. And I had, you know, there's always like when you do comedy, I used to always say like, there's wanting to com- do comedy and needing to do comedy. And when I first moved to LA, you know, I needed to do comedy. I, I And I still love comedy and need it. But I really needed it. And I, when I worked on Mixology, the show for ABC, my co-star, I always joke that I haven't seen any other movie except for Sister Axe one and two, because I really haven't seen a lot of film, you know, (laughs) really like, because we grew up so evangelical. We owned like four movies. I just, I haven't seen everything you're supposed to see. And she was like, I don't understand how you can do comedy. If you don't know, like Monty Python and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Girl, I grew up in up with a crazy family. Like end of story, I know how to be funny, <laughs> you know? Like yeah. it, that it's a superpower now. And and then beyond that what I'm learning um both in relationships and in our work is just um the ability uh, to to you need to honor yourself, honor your gut and abandon self-betrayal. Mm. Because I think when you grow up in a, in a toxic household, you you do. You learn to betray yourself. You know, you can think you're good at something and then someone tells you you're not. And all of a sudden, that's a new truth. Truly. It can live for forever. And so then we have to learn and rewire how to constantly not do that for ourselves, even though it's familiar. Right. You know, it's more I've, I've ruined opportunities because people really really gave me a ton of compliments or really supported me and I didn't understand it so I would just be like you're weird this is odd to me get out of my way you know and then I would miss these opportunities so now I have to be like okay no I can accept this I can accept this support that comes easily these people like me they're not out to get me and that success is going to breed even more confidence so it's almost like it's being able to accept that Yeah.
0: Yeah, it sounds like and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you you don't have as much of an issue having confidence in yourself, but you have issue or had with Mm -hmm. other people giving you these accolades and this uh putting their trust in you and then being like, Well, I don't trust that. So it sounds like Yeah. Is is that is that what I'm hearing?
1: Oh yeah, it's actually very, very wild and I only discovered some of it recently, um, in a bunch of trauma therapy, it was weird. Like, you know, some people do a bunch of trauma therapy and then they discover like really bad memories. Like, oh shit, I was raped and I didn't know it. Like hidden shit. For me, what happened was when I would get success or and I would shine, I would get attacked. So most of my life I've associated compliments. I can't take a fucking compliment. You know, I am better at it now. But compliments and support to me equated with, oh no, someone's going to take something away from you or you're going to be attacked. So I actually would disassociate at times during these moments. And if it meant a bunch, if it meant the world to me, I would disassociate even more. And I actually, so the weird thing is like for me, instead of uncovering hidden, really, really dark moments in my life, I, in a bunch of trauma therapy, re-remembered moments of support that I had blacked out in.
0: Wow. Which is,
1: yeah, which is heartbreaking, but yeah. also like crazy, crazy. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like trauma therapy has helped you as a person and your confidence a lot? Or like, I don't know how long you've been doing it or what your relationship with it yeah. is.
1: Well, I think it's about finding the right type of trauma therapy. So me, for me, I'm like narcissists and sociopaths and psychopaths. They can fucking smell me, you know, and I, I, I have a history with them because I grew up with them. And so I have a trauma therapy that's specific to that and that type of abuse, and that has been a game change. So that, and in that, I just learn, you know, I guess I, yeah, it's really just self-betrayal. You know, I think that people, I think everyone with whatever they're trying to do in life needs to be self-aware. Like no one wants to be the person that sucks on American Idol and no one ever told them that they suck, totally. right? That's like the huge fear. But at the same time, you don't want to have to listen to other people to know whether or not you're good at something. Right. You, know? you should just know and honor it and don't look to people like less successful than you to affirm it. Don't just do what you want to do, you know. Yeah, I've, and, I've, yeah go ahead. I, and there's just like a space for that. You know, there's a space for everyone's uniqueness. You know, Like I think about singers and I think of some of these singers that actually have bad voices, weird voices. You know, I don't know. Not Bob Dylan, but like who's like there's certain singers and it's like they are they're their singing is like a quirk, you know? It's yes. not really like a even Jack White, I love Jack White. That's not really classical, you know, that's a an affectation, it's a way, but it's like, oh, there's room for that. And you invented it and you told people you're gonna listen to this and it's gonna be dope. And they did. And it's amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I find the balance of being uh co- being confident from within and getting that external stimulus, that external, uh, uh, God, what is the word I'm looking for? But like, uh, yeah. 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 Finding that balance has been tricky for me. Um, and it's, it's almost been like a pendulum where, I'm either like, "What do you want me to do?" Oh, you, that's good. That's what's that's what's funny. Okay, I'll do that then. And then the opposite, it'll swing, and I'll be like, "Fuck you! I hate you! You don't know yeah. shit about shit." And then, yeah. but that's not good either because no one wants to work with that.
1: Yeah. What I found is a couple of things, and I I totally relate to that. First of all, the that like, oh my god, what do you want? Like, that's more like societal for women. You know, if you think about women responding to a director, we're more the like. Uh, are we, are we doing it right? Cause society just like pushed us down as a gender, you know? 100%. And then, and then the fuck off, no one wants that. Cause then all of a sudden you're this thing. But what I found as far as like the energy goes for getting what you, what you want and allowing yourself to have that confidence where you're like, actually, I know what the fuck I'm doing is knowing that what's best for you is best for the team. So it's kind of like a, An absolute confidence in this in yourself, that's actually a gift. So you're actually saying, I got you. You know what I mean? Instead of saying, fuck off, it's saying, no, no, no. You don't need to fucking, I I know comedy. I fucking do this. Are you kidding me? Like, this is, it's in my bone. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I I do this on stage all the time. Like, I know this arc. Don't worry. And then, and that energy of you're taken care of, other person that might chime in, because I'm Mm -hmm. good at what the fuck I do that energy gives people a lot of peace and then you a bunch of freedom. So just like,
0: yeah. So just like,
1: I'll take care of you. Like I like, don't worry. Don't, don't be in fear person, you know, Mm -hmm. because I know what I'm doing. Yeah.
0: How has that bled into like the audition experience for you?
1: Um, I like auditions. Yeah. that I, I kind of tell myself before auditions, like, I go, if I remember, sometimes, sometimes I just fucking forget, like, yeah. and go so in waves of when I'm getting a lot of offers or I'm auditioning a bunch. And then I go to an audition. I'm like, Oh shit, what is this?
0: <laughs> I just, like, yeah. I was remember- going to say, I don't even know if you still audition or not. And
1: yeah, no, I, I do. But like, sometimes I forget like, Oh yeah. How does this work? But it's kind of like, I like to go, I like to tell myself before I go in, like, Oh, look what I can do. And you know what? Honestly. And I have a take it or leave it vibe. Because I'm not going to do it the way someone wants me to do it. I'm literally only auditioning the way that I want to do it. And if they don't want it, that's so powerful. Have you had
0: experiences where, before you had this mentality, you yeah. might have you might have not been like take it or leave it, and and did did that like uh, bode like negative experiences when you were like, well, I did it the way they wanted to, so of course it's not good or something like that.
1: Yeah. I I really haven't done that a a, a lot. The 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 benefits of doing where I tell myself I'm just gonna do the ginger ginger version of this, and sometimes it's really fucking weird. You know, I've tested for pilots where I go in and I go, hey, just so you know, like I'm making my character foreign, you know, and they're like, what? And all of a sudden I'm testing and my character has an accent, and they're like, whatever. The thing is, is if I do it the way that I want to do it, even if it's not what they're gonna hire. It's it stands out enough and it's good enough that it's going to lead to a different job. Mm. That moment actually is what will end up booking me something else because you're not going to forget it because I did my version. And and I find that when you, you know what else helps is like you write, I'm sure, because yep. you write sketches. Yeah. It's like, you know how like sometimes when you're, I've noticed like when I'm writing, I'm trying to make all my characters super dynamic, but sometimes I honor that like, it is just a placeholder. Or what I'm writing for this character, I do expect someone to kind of come in, make up, and tell me tell me what they want it to be. So I really noticed that on pilot, mm. you know, like on a pilot. Yeah, this person wrote this over the last two months, but do they know what this character is? No. So I'll tell them, and then if they want this version, like sweet. I like the pilot I'm doing right now. I mean. I, I choose to work on cable mostly mm-hmm. and this network thing. And I was like, well, I'll go in, but I'm going to do my cable shit. And I did. And then they liked it. So
0: great. That worked. <laughs> so pe- so for people who don't really know the difference between network and cable, would you say? How would you describe that for them?
1: Network usually just like has more rules and you're a little more in a box and cable is more freeing, a little more room to improvise and less people chiming in. But on this, on this show, they're they're letting me do what I want. And it's kind of, you know, I guess from that energy. I was like, hey, here's what I'm gonna do. Do you want this? And it's so specific to me. And if they're hiring me, it's like, well, now I have to do it this way. Right. Because that's what that's what it was. Yeah. You know? Would the you, the weird version. Would yeah. you
0: say that you're good at not being attached to outcomes?
1: Yeah. To a to a you know, my manager and agent chagrin, you know, (laughs) I'm not attached to our and I, and I say no to whatever I want. And I say no a lot. And I fool, maybe foolishly just, you know, try to be on things that I want to be on. But that also leads to me having more confidence because when I'm on a show that I don't feel creatively fulfilled by, I become sad. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're, you're such a badass. I just love it so (laughs) much. Um, Thanks. because I was reading this, this article that my therapist sent me about, about confidence. And one of the things was just like practicing non-attachment. And I find that really hard because if, if, if something's like a really cool project that I want to be a part of, I'm, i I'm attached. I'm just, well, I want to do it. I'm attached to it. So I don't know how
1: to, how to practice non-attachment. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. You know, those ones that you read for and you're like, I don't understand. This is me, you know, and I, if they just gave it to me, like we could make it next level. But the other thing I noticed is like, when I don't get those jobs, they don't want it to be that level or they don't want, you know, so it, it's almost like a, it's like a delusion. I'm like, don't you, cause I'm looking at something and I'm like, don't you see this could be dope. And then, they want some safe version, maybe, and I'm like, oh, so I wouldn't have thrived there anyways, and I wouldn't have been able to do what I thought this was,
0: you know? Yeah. It's probably
1: not what you. It's not. It's not what you think it could be if they go a different direction, you know? So ha- have you have you auditioned or
0: for something? Didn't get it, and you were like, oh, that was. I would have been so good at it. Then saw it later on, and you were like, oh, well, oh. fucking never mind that's not what I would have given.
1: I'm trying to think of, um, I think so. I th- I can't think of anything specific. Yeah. But usually, usually I think if I happen to catch it, I'm like, oh, they, that, that was supposed to be like really vanilla or really just, it's usually just like, in my opinion, when I, event- if I eventually see it, I'm like, oh, they just didn't want it to be honestly that interesting. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, and want, also yeah. Go ahead. With, with the non-attachment, I just feel like I think because of those crazy low points in my life, I'm like, "Fuck, man!" Like, like it's almost like who cares? Because nothing can be worse than some of the other things I faced, you know. And confidence, you know, it, I, I, and self-esteem, and all that stuff. It's like you go through waves of having to rebuild it, you know. I had mine like completely stripped like a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wait, what? Like, who even, how did that happen? Who am I? How do I dig myself out of this? And the way to, to do that is just to be unabashedly you, in my opinion. Mm.
0: I was going to say, how did, you, how did you come out of the, how, how did you in this recent one or in the past, how do you dig yourself out of these these low points?
1: Well, fortunately, I love art more than anything in the world. You know, you're such a good painter, too. Oh, Oh, it's so fun. And and so I will just as an in a way of anesthetizing myself in that really broken space. It's like, okay, let me let me make something or I'm feeling so not. You know, I feel like nothing's beautiful right now. Mm -hmm. Can I as a challenge create something beautiful? You know, can I fucking paint something pretty that is the opposite of my experience right now? Or can I try, or can, maybe it'll be ugly. But funny enough is like, if I'm painting, for example, like I'll look at it like uh, seven months later and it'll have like a message to me. You know, I don't don't even know what my fucking brain was painting at that time. And then it clicks like later and then that becomes a teaching experience. And it, but that, the, I love, I just, you know, also because I I just love art in general and our profession, it's like, it's easy to be like, okay, I can get through this, thankfully, because I know that my profession exists. Like, I don't know, like, I don't want to lose the opportunity to not be able to do what I do again, you know, and, and I just think it takes like, I think it's really important to be alone too. Mm. I think, I think even in relationships, like people need as much alone time as they can have so that they can, they cannot let other people's thoughts seep in, even if they're well-intended, you know, I've had wonderful well-intended partners or whatever. And it's like, but still like their opinions can, um, can creep in and you can start doubting yourself. Like I had someone joking the other day, like I, whenever I'm pitching a show, I use visuals and that's such a fucking girl scout thing to do, you know? And they were like, Oh, that's so cute. And they really mean nothing by it. Right. But then the next day when I was working on it, I'm like judging myself like, is this fucking, is this stupid? Like, is this too much? And then I'm like, no, this is the way that I do well. This is how I'm able to explain the thing that I wrote. So, yeah, I have visuals, you know, but I'm, I'll, I'll be surprised and I have to catch myself by how much I can let someone's thought or critique or opinion or joke seep in and become a thought of my own, which is not a thought of my own. Yeah, so it's like
0: changing, because sometimes if you don't think about that, you it'll just pass you by and you'll be like, oh, that was stupid of me to done the visuals or whatever. But you have cultivated a mindset where you can take a moment and be like, okay, do I want to accept this information as truth Mm -hmm. or do I not want to? And then make actively making that decision to say, I'm not going to believe this thing. So it's almost like. It is a
1: slowing down.
0: It's like a slowing down. It's like, I don't want to say perspective change, but it's, it's like a thought. It's like a, it's like choosing your
1: own thought. Yeah. And I've become better at that because I've noticed, I, I have these things that I call them drive by sentences and it's really my gut telling me things. I've been in so many situations where my gut goes, nope, this is bad or nope, don't do that. And it's literally like the thought flies by and then I suppress it. And it's like, I may not even remember it until a week later. So now I'm trying to go. And I even did it on the phone with my friend the other day. It's like a fucking thought flew by and I went, "Ah!" and it's like, catch it, catch what your gut's saying. Yes, this is right. Yes, this is aligned with me. Who cares? Like, and, and anytime someone else is like, I've had some, some managers that are always like, Oh, that's so lame. Or this is the way to do it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, who are, who are you, dude? Like, really, bro. Like, what are even, like, why are you charming in about art? You're a manager, you know? <laughs> so it's literally not your, like, you can maybe identify talent, but this is not what you do. Like, you don't create. So I'm not going to listen to that. And thank you. And it's also, like, cultivating that mindset of being, like, okay, opinions, right? If I call, like, five friends, like, I can take everyone's opinion. That's fine. But then I just go, Mm, let me listen and then go and see what has value kind of gauge like oh what were the motivations because everyone is saying what they need for themselves when people are giving opinions you know what I mean they need the comfort to whatever they're saying so sometimes it's valuable and sometimes it's not you just have to like be like okay that's what what five people think but I still actually think what I thought or I still think what I thought but yeah that person's right about this strategy Mm -hmm. you know you have to honor, you know, whatever. And
0: and realizing like, like you said, like if it's a manager, they might not, that art might not be their expertise. So they're saying it through the filter of their own life experiences, which is not
1: art. Yeah. And, and I just, I don't like anything that's fear-based and I don't like, you know, a lot of times people are like, you know, they just, they just want to win. Right. So they want to be successful and they go, well, the last time I was successful, this is what happened. And it's like, there's no, there's no blueprints. That was that experience with that unique, weird person that, you know, a writer, a writer that's just a writer, they don't pitch the same way as a writer, actor, right? The writer, actor, comedian, or whatever, has the benefit of being like a charming, weird weird person. So it's a totally different thing. So it's not going to be the way that this person sold something. It's going to, you know, it's not going to apply. Yeah. So just being wary of that. Would you
0: say that, like, doing being a visual artist or being a, being a painter has benefited your confidence for other things that aren't art related? I think it's
1: been a nice outlet. Mm. I think what's best about that is like I, my brain can take breaks from, um, from, you know, the same categories. And then, and then if I if I use my brain in like a painting way or a visual way, the uh, it'll shake up something that is necessary for writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or actually, honestly, I would say more for personal growth that is more, which leads to more confidence. How how
0: does art lead, How does art play into personal growth? How does creating painting or how whatever art, other arts you do?
1: Yeah, I think that it's just when it it ends up being really prophetic. And because I, in, in acting and writing and directing, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm very free when I'm an actor, but I know those art forms, right? I know what, what it is. I know all the parameters and I know, um, I know what to do. Painting or anything visual, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So I don't care. And I'm literally just spitting something out without any judgment of myself and not giving a shit, and just trying, but also just kind of being like, eh, let's see what this is. And it usually is like a need. Like, I'll be like, ooh, I bet I, let me see if I can do this weird thing. And then sometimes I can, and sometimes I can't. So there's that, there's the freedom of having a, a specific type of art that, that I have no attachment to, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't care, that's not going to give me a job in acting, you know, right. it's not going right. to, it's not going to, do anything very specific to my profession but then also weirdly because your subconscious plays so much i think if you if you're drawing when or making a poem when you're having a feeling later you can see oh what did that mean oh my god i'm having an issue with this i need to tackle that or i've had other really magical experiences where i'm drawing like you know, something very symbolic that I later realize is related to like my grandma. And then I'm like, Oh, I need to break some sort of ancestral trauma related to my grandma. Mm-hmm. And then I do, you know, which is, I don't know if you know about ancestral trauma, but it's like fascinating. I, do, I know nothing about it. But... Oh my God. So this is crazy and, and so real. So the the simplest way I can explain it is like, you know, if a, if a woman is in a physically abusive relationship, let's say her mom probably was right. And her mom probably was, and it's a trauma is actually, um, can be, is rebirthed in genes. Right. So other than the fact that let's say like, other than like, you know, other than just being like a a kid that sees their, their, their mom beats them and then they see like the, you know other than the visual and 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 actually growing up in the nature versus nurture thing it's actually part of it is becomes part of your dna right and so you could be doing things subconsciously you could be acting out things on behalf of your lineage that you don't even know and and i've also seen it with i just worked with a dp who just met he was on ancestry.com and he met his sister that he, that, you know, she had been adopted and she's doing the same thing. So even though she grew up in a totally different family, they're both acting out the same subconscious ancestral trauma, you know, but if you break it and a lot of children of parents from third world countries uh, realize this at a certain age. And I've seen this with a lot of my friends who have immigrant parents. Like I have one immigrant parent. There's so much trauma in a third world country, you know, so so you're bound to, to, to absorb some of that, but you can, you can, you can break a cycle for your entire lineage. And I just watched a, a really great, um, oh, shame. The writer literally gave me a free ticket to, uh, what the constitution means to me mm. on Broadway. Yep. Yeah. So I really related to that cause she did speech and debate or whatever. And what she broke for her family is like a physical abuse cycle. And, you know, the mom doesn't know any better because she grew up a certain way being taught by a mom who is, you know, from the, another time period where they really don't respect women. And it's like, you just don't know any better, you know? So that daughter is going to, to re, they're going to repeat that in their relationships unless they really, really wake up to it. But once you do, you can break it for everyone. Like for me, I know, like I know not to consider money evil, Like that's a generational thing from my, my grandma and, you know, and her dad who killed, who was a banker and killed himself in the depression and and such. And, and they just had this like idea that money was, um, is evil or that there's more love if you're poor. So I had to kind of like mentally like break that. And if you do that, great. So if I have a bunch of money, my kids are just going to know, Oh, it's okay to like reach your full potential and have a lot of money. Or like my dad has a clear, you know, creative side and, my grandma was like always trying to write a book on that side my dad is very musical but it's like none of these people are doing art I'm doing art so I break that you know and then I have a side of my family that's always dating like as very empathetic and they're always dating a narcissist so it's like I have to break that for myself you know and you can but if you if you find what you have to like learn for yourself you can trace it back and you can be like oh shit everybody everybody was doing that version of that
0: how do you break it because I relate to you saying my mother my mother is um a a a wonderful empathic person and my father is a narcissist and that's what I grew up with that's what I saw and it has affected me just so much no girl and I'm still working on how many are are, of there are you in your family just me and my sister
1: were you the scapegoat child
0: I, you know? Well, here's the thing. My father was absent most of my life, and he then he would co- so he would leave, and then he would come back and do all like the grandiose narcissistic things, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then he would leave, and then he would come back. I was no, I I was more so
1: maybe I don't know actually. I haven't really thought about that. Sometimes it goes back and forth because like if there's three kids, there's the golden child, the scapegoat child. You know that is sabotage and they blame everything on that was me, and then the neglected, and that's like my older brother. But I, well, there's a couple things. First of all, there's this one website that you have to go through, the holistic psychologist. I, okay. I, I put it on my Instagram, um, but she breaks down like really well what trauma bonds are. So, so children of narcissists, it's a whole thing that uh, it, it's a whole life, you know, that. That doesn't have enough therapists around it. You know, I specifically have one now, like for that, for children of narcissists, for people who date. You know, I've dated sociopaths, I've dated psychopaths, like truly. I mean, Adam, I had one really, really lovely person for like 10 years, so I just got to clear him. But um, <laughs> he's going to be like, what? We should stop you, friggin'. But so, okay, so let me try to think about breaking it because this is a process and it's not like I've completely fixed it. But well, an important thing is ma- making sure that you break it in your love relationships, right? And what I've learned is that um, subconsciously people will be attracted to the person that reminds them the most of the most toxic parents. And so you can, and there, for me, for example, there's a need to fix that person or love that person because I, I subconsciously think, okay, well, if they can finally love themselves, and not be super narky, then I'm allowed to be loved and not be sabotaged, you know. Then I'm free, you know. So I'm still I'm still hunting for that person. You know, I'm like I've been in that zone where I'm like, oh, okay, let me just get you to because that's what those people need. They need to fucking love themselves, you know. Yeah. Then they're not monsters to other people yeah. and it's personality disorder. But so there's there's that, and then yeah, so so trying to make sure you, you're not with a narc. And also, I think, you know, g- when you're the opposite of that and you're an empath or whatever and, and you're just the narc in the relationship, it's like giving yourself permission um, to, to really love yourself and give yourself a shit ton of self-care. And that's what's so funny because self-care is, is so important, but in the right hands. Like you and I probably need to double down on self-care more than we realize, mm-hmm. right? In every sense of the word, our brains, how we view ourselves, all that shit but put that information in the hands of a narcissist and they're just going to abuse self care in a way that's selfish. Like, Oh, I can't honor your needs. I can't be nice to you because I have to like, you know, be with myself. And it's like, Oh, ever it's always just you, you're a narcissist, you know? Yeah. So yeah, but yeah. So it's like breaking that cycle with your partner and then, and re- rebuilding what, what they've done as, as you grow up under that cycle, because narcissists will always be in that, uh, in uh pattern of idealize devalue and then discard right so what I know is for me and my friends who are children of monarchs or sociopaths or whatever is like sometimes we date assholes because let's say you have a parent right and they they did idealize you and they did support you and do all the things and then all of a sudden like you then they go away you know that disappointment is so gut-wrenching and especially as a child is there anything worse so if you date a piece of shit you subconsciously know, well, at least they're not going to disappoint me and I'm not going to have that wonderful person that eventually goes away because that sucks. Cause that's just know? like
0: too much to bear.
1: It's so much. And as a kid, you know, and it's so confusing
0: Yeah, it's, I'm still unraveling that, because it would be like, it would just be such grandiose, I saw my dad, like, you know, twice a month, like, I saw him, like, every other weekend, so he would leave, and then he would come back and do these grandiose big things, and then leave. Yeah. And so, and I, as an adult, was in an emotionally and physically abusive relationship that I got out of, and now I have Casey, who is, I mean, his, I'm so grateful. Um, Yeah. Uh, but now I'm at the point where I don't know whether to have, and this is obviously very personal, but I'm fine talking about it. Yeah. I don't know whether to have my father in my life. I don't know whether I, if, uh, if I, if I need to have boundaries and still have him in my life, if I need to not have him in my life at all, because it's just, just when I think that he's better,
1: something got, happens
0: uh, and it's a, he drops a fucking bomb. And then I'm like, I, how many times can I do this?
1: So, oh, so many thoughts on this that might sound really disheartening, but (laughs) so something that my therapist told me, she was like, oh, she was like, you have an endless capacity for hope. And I was like, yeah, but that's actually damaging Mm -hmm. in regard to an art and anyone like that. So there's a really great book called Stop Caretaking the um the borderline narc the borderline or narcissist in your life. And it's caring, but it's also real talk. And basically, you have to honor that this person has a personality disorder right. that really sadly love is not love. Any love that they're giving you is a way to serve themselves. Mm-hmm. Even sure. when it can look the most genuine, it's still for them it's just narcissistic supply so you know it it and it's going to go away right it's going to go in cycles that said once you honor that like i've taken my i took my parent completely out of my life but then i still dated a, i still dated a next level sociopath and i and i still recreated it many years later when i didn't think that i could would you know um but you know that subconscious i only know now you know but but that said, if someone's just a narcissist and not actually like a malignant sociopath or a psychopath, there is a way to kind of, um, do the dance essentially, where if you want, and I have friends and I've watched them do it. And if you want them in your life, you can, there's a way of like training them basically. Yeah. And, you know, cause they're always like abandoning, discarding. And so A narcissist is going to fear abandonment at all times. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to just constantly keep them um, in a certain um, zone with, with boundaries. Yeah. If you want them in your life. And that's the other thing is I, I used to have people be like, how, how, why would you talk about your parent like that? Like, that's so, you know, that's so awful. And it's like, yo, like some people have parents like the mom and precious, like, I have, you know, I had a little bit of that and then also like a next level mind fuck that really, you know, destroyed multiple years of my life. And so I'm fine with cutting them out completely because that's another thing about hope is they do not change. It's not possible. Mm -hmm. Not like you, they can, they can do a point of therapy where, you know, what they do for people who have Asperger's is they teach them how to mimic, how to be a good person, Mm. right? Not, but, but a person that will understand emotions. So a a person with Asperger's that's in therapy will be taught, if somebody cries, if your partner cries, say something like this, are you okay, right? And so now the wife in that relationship feels seen. But the person with Asperger's still isn't relating to that because they have Asperger's. Mm -hmm. They just learned what they need to say in order to give love and have their partner um, feel seen, you know? But they're actually not having the experience. They just learned how to kind of mimic A person that does that. And a narcissist can go to enough therapy if they admit what they are and learn how to mimic decency, kind of, in a way that's not toxic. But the personality disorder can't actually change.
0: Yeah. And then I I always struggle with, like, what? Say that again.
1: It gets worse with age. Right. Because beauty is lost. And, yeah.
0: I always... I'm str- well, not always, recently, am struggling with, like, okay, well, they have a personality disorder, they can't help it. And then it's just like, well, no, you can't help it, but you can take accountability sure. for your behavior. And, like, just finding that balance has been just so hard because I- 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 people want to have a a decent know, parent figure. It's not like you- we don't not want that. We would love that. Yeah.
1: yeah. But at I a certain know. point, I...
0: it's just accepting that. that's not That's not it for you. Yeah,
1: I know. I, I mourned that a great deal. And I, and I totally. was sharing that with a friend one time. I was like, she was like, well, a good parent would do this. I was like, uh, their brains, is not going to happen. Right. It's literally only to serve themselves. So, but there's a way where you can, I've, I've watched her um, basically only respect herself and they come on board, you know, mm-hmm. and she doesn't allow for certain comments. She doesn't allow, she doesn't allow anything that makes her feel bad. And so then if they wanna be with you, they have to know that. And they will.
0: Setting boundaries is so important and something that I did not learn
1: as a kid. Did you did you learn about boundaries? No. Okay. No. Girl, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I like, was like so codependent. I'm like, let me help everyone. You work at Target. You need a ride home? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, re- I relate to that so hard. This
0: yeah. is so off topic, but I wrote it down as a question I wanted to ask you before before our hour is up. Um, oh, yeah. uh, you mentioned, you talked a little bit about having, uh, being wary of, of other people's comments or like almost that, that group being wary of other people. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Other people's opinion. So how did that play into being on an improv team or being a part of, you know what I mean? Cause that is so, yeah. you're so reliant on a team and I'm, I'm curious like why you leaned into that as opposed to like a standup who is just on their own.
1: Oh, that's funny. Uh, I, I see improv is great. I, I love that about improv. I like a team and I like being supported and I like, um, I think because there's so much freedom and so much pace and speed to improv, it always feels electric. Like it's in the moment and everyone's safe and it, and it's cool. Stand up. I actually didn't like very much because I didn't want to be myself, mm. you know? And, and I didn't, I, I don't. I don't have a need. like, if I did stand-up, I really liked doing stand-up when I was in character, but mostly, like, you know, people are talking about themselves. I don't want to talk about myself that I much. I really, yeah. Yeah, and also, like, we're actors, so why am I trying to, like, really be 100%? I don't know that I want, like, a visual record of me as I always am when I'm trying to hide as different characters all the time, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. But I you don't can- think-
1: chameleon if you do that
0: you never felt like distrust uh during improv or like on your team or you just made sure you surrounded yourself with good teammates but sometimes I feel like you don't have a choice like if you're put on a herald team or you know the equivalent at groundlings you
1: don't have a choice of who you're playing with yeah you don't have a choice you just gotta you just gotta trust and and I only really do those Groundling shows on Wednesday but I don't know I think it's just like if someone does something shitty it's gonna show and honestly, it's obvious. Yeah. Like, really? You you went for that joke and it tanked the whole scene. Like, we all know that's not my fault. I don't care. Yeah. You know, like you know, you pre-wrote that, like we can follow, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The art form, the art form almost like as a whole doesn't work unless everyone signs up for the fact that we gotta love each other, support each other. And have each other's back, so it, it does, the art form doesn't work without that. Yeah, yeah. So you know that
0: as you're like, we're all gonna love each other and support each other. So that kind of gives you the reassurance that you need.
1: Yeah, and it's just like I don't know, just that the spontaneity is so much fun, you know.
0: It's the most fun. I didn't realize I'd miss it as much as I do in quarantine. Yeah.
1: It's I it gives me so much joy. I, I, anytime I do a Wednesday show at the Groundlings, like, I'm always texting Brian Palermo like. I've been happy for three weeks. (laughs) It's it's so true. (laughs) true. That hour where we were stupid. And and it is, yeah, there's a lot of love in improv, I think. Yeah. And and stand-up was so competitive and yucky. I remember, remember, you know, doing stand-up at the improv and, and watching comedians be like, yo, good set. And I'm like, we're all standing behind the light. And I'm like, I heard you two seconds ago clowning on that man. I'm like, go fuck yourself. You're all fake. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a world that I don't know that I want to be a part of. I'm just too, I I'm too
1: sensitive a human to do it. I think. And good to know that, you know, put yourself into that, into that space. And it's a lot better now. It's funny. I was dabbling with it again a couple years ago and I was like, Oh, it's so much more supportive of women now and blah, blah, blah. But still, it's it's a you know that that art form's tricky.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, before we go, I I'm just gonna read off Ginger's list. Ginger's list for self confidence, which is just the notes I've been taking throughout yeah, this yeah. talk. Okay. Willingness to fail, commitment, yeah. commitment, believe in yourself, be brave, get out of your comfort zone, honor your gut, therapy, yeah. do your vision.
1: Mm-hmm. Practice
0: non-attachment, be yourself, give yourself alone time, be independent, slow yeah. down, slow down your thoughts, and choose what you believe. Self-reflection through art.
1: Yeah! I love that! That's so nice! That's a good <laughs> list! Like, I love that list. Thanks. <laughs> uh,
0: thank you so much for doing this.
1: Oh my god, yes. I could
0: seriously talk like for another hour with you, uh, but... Yeah. Uh, we'll have to save it for another another time.
1: But this was so delightful. Thanks. Likewise. And you have all the reason in the world to be the most confident person on the planet. Oh, so it's your fun heart. to me that you would even be on the <laughs> to learn. But I, 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 I can relate for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey.
0: Uh, well, thanks again.
1: Hey, thank you so much. Good to chat with you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? I'd love to hear from listeners about things that have helped you build your confidence. Whether that's a mantra, a routine, maybe a favorite book or an event that you went through, leave it in the review section. Or if you have a question regarding confidence that you'd love to hear discussed on this podcast, you can leave that in the review section as well and I'll check it out. Thanks again.